0: All right, you ready? <clears throat> okay. We're, ready. we're on. All right, so th- this is an introduction, in my childhood and teenage years, the Torah's doors had not yet opened for me. I found that the Torah reading in synagogue thoroughly boring and devoid of meaning. I didn't understand Hebrew, and the antiquated translation and commentary available to me were really quite disturbing. Something was str- uh, tugging at me, probably a sense of family and peoplehood. But why did our customs seem to be so uh, so weird and incomprehensible? And why did nothing in the synagogue actually make me feel accomplished and adequate? It all seemed so burdensome. I never dreamt that the Torah could be a powerful tool of personal transformation and that it could calm the worries of the body, mind, heart, and soul on a daily basis. I had no idea that the text, which appeared to me so boring, would in fact relieve much of the existential boredom of my adult life and infuse it with meaning. There is reason why the Torah, the five books of Moses, is the oldest sacred text in Western civilization that has been in constant use because the Torah reflects your own life back to you. Any thoughts? The Torah is not a story about some other people, and is not about some other time as a guide to your inner self, which, if read properly, can illuminate every possible human experience. This book will prime you to read the Torah as a guide to life. You will learn to appreciate every line, perhaps every word of the Torah, as a set of tools that empower you to expand consciousness, to discover your humanity, and cultivate your inner life. These pages don't contain any of my own ideas. I have merely uh, collected teachings of the great rabbinic minds of the past 2,000 years rendering them in contemporary voice, but you will probably find it different from any Torah commentary you have uh, read before because I have chosen to emphasize things the others have generally overlooked. You see, most commentaries presume that the reader is extremely interested in the text, that he... She wants to pour over multiple possible translations, delve into the nuances of the Hebrew language, uncover inconsistencies, and fix them, or to be exposed to as many interpretations as possible. I'm presuming that you're not especially interested in that kind of stuff. I've included some of it, probably accounting for about 10 or 20% of the commentary, uh, just so you get a balanced diet, but I have mainly looked for something else. My key criterion for selecting comments has been relevancy. When selecting a passage, I repeatedly ask myself, is this insightful? Is it life-enhancing? Does this open new possibilities for self-transformation is it refreshing in other words i'm presuming that you you're turning to this book primarily for guidance in your life to enhance your stay on this planet and not to become the world's next greatest biblical scholar any thoughts no
1: that's very interesting it'll be interesting if he states what changed his point of view from finding it boring to finding it enlightening
0: Mm -hmm said, are we betraying the Torah's sanctity by turning it into some sort of self-help book? Absolutely not. In fact, we betray the Torah by not doing so. Torah is usually translated as law, but in Hebrew it is derived from the word hora, meaning lesson or guidance. If you study the Torah in a mood of personal detachment, you fail to capture its essence and spirit. The Torah is meant to engage you, and when I say guidance, I am not talking here about Jewish law, halakha. The five books of Moses are the source text for an enormous body of civil, criminal, and ritual law, which is codified in the Talmud and subsequently in the 16th century code of Rabbi Joseph Caro, the sulkan wrote. While this is extremely important, it, ha- it has not been my focus here and amply dealt with in other works. I want you to experience the Torah as a guide of inner life, as a tremendous blessing which simply needs to be unwrapped like a gift. I want the Torah to be a revelation which flows forth to you in the present moment. I want you to read each Torah portion as your spiritual homework for the week, helping. You to reach your fullness of your humanity, something that heals your soul and thereby the world. All of this is to be found in the Torah and its vast ocean of classic commentaries. I have spent the last 15 years of my life learning how to read the Torah as a book of horror, uh, insight, and guidance. And this book is a humble uh, offering to you of some of the lessons I have gathered. If you want the Torah to be a blessing in your life, it's crucial that you have the right attitude towards reading and studying it. The emphasis should be on savoring every word and allowing it to penetrate you. Sacred energy is gushing forth when Torah is read in the synagogue, or even when you read the text in the privacy of your own home, and you need to surrender to its power so that it can begin to transform you. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, apparently he, he's talking more about its intuitive or uh, intrinsic value rather than Argumentative or, or intellectual.
0: Wait, what do you think uh, about what do you think about that idea that sacred energy is gushing forth? Any thoughts? Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I, I like that idea because I, I like the idea of you know not just like oh let it transcend itself so you can get in touch with the with the flow, the energy or whatever. I I like the idea that there is a mystical order behind things that there that there is secret codes that you can tap into. I saw that with the quadra model, that you can tap into synchronicities in existence. And that you even are dialoguing, like I know that's idea of dualism, but that that there is a kind of a dialogue between the highest source, and that you can, if you get to the highest level of consciousness, where you can see that people are individuals, not categories, and and you can get to that level, but you you're not negating the higher source, even if it is separate from you. Any thoughts? That's good. So it says, don't be concerned if this kind of language is unfamiliar to you, as as with anything, you will come to it with. Time While volumes could be filled with this topic, I'd like to give you just a few basic pointers as to how to open yourself to the Torah's transformational and healing properties. There are several uh, phases to this process which could be briefly uh, summed up as awakening, self-realization, growth, and healing. First, you must awaken from the constraints of your narrow consciousness. That's a fancy way of saying that you need to expose the faulty thought patterns that have led you to unhealthy or dysfunctional behavior. Self-realization is a difficult task. Of acknowledging your resistance to healing and becoming convinced that you have a problem that needs fixing. Then you need to grow by repeatedly meditating on the Torah Insight, which initially brought about your awakening, affirming its truth over the extended period of time so that it gradually becomes your new perception of reality. Once There's four steps. Once this elevated perspective of life becomes the norm, you will begin to heal over a period of weeks, months, or perhaps years. Any thoughts? Yeah,
1: uh, what he's saying, thats a very detailed way of talking about Upgrading your way
0: of seeing, your software. Said, you have probably realized by now surrendering the Torah's power is far from a passive experience. Surrendering doesn't mean sitting back and doing nothing while the Torah does this work. It's an arduous process of releasing your attachments to unhealthy mind patterns that you mistakenly thought were a source of stability and security and replacing them with attitudes that are truer to your real self in essence. And this brings me to another point. What determines whether a thought pattern is dysfunctional or healthy? It's often very difficult to tell, since we are such masters of self-deception when it comes to these things. But I'm going to give you a couple of very important rules that will help you navigate the turbulent waters of personal transformation and healing. The arrows of growth always point in a direction of interconnectedness and love and away from separation and fear. From a very young age, you learned that this world is a dangerous place. If you hit your knee on a table, it hurt. There were times when you were distressed and nobody really understood People were nasty towards you because they wanted to gain something for themselves. So you slowly develop the scarcity mentality, imagining that the pleasurable stuff of this life is in short supply and nobody except yours truly is going to ensure that you get your fair share or more than your fair share. These kinds of thoughts fuel an outlook of separation and fear. Any thoughts? Uh, He's talking
1: about moving from dualistic to
0: non-dual thinking. The result is that you desperately cling to whatever you think is going to provide you with the security and bounty That you need in this lonely, dangerous world. The Torah teaches that this kind of attitude is incorrect and dysfunctional. Your your trust in mankind and in God might have been tested by some unpleasant experiences. But goodness is going to come your way by expanding your mind, not by narrowing. If you can learn to love and identify with all of God's creatures by training your eyes to the spark of goodness in everything and the utter sacredness hidden just below the surface of mundane acts, then you will feel safe. Enough to start shedding your dysfunctional attitudes of fear and isolation. Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah,
1: that's, that's,
0: that's perfect. I like the idea of the utter sacred, sacredness hidden in just below the surface of mundane acts, and that's that's you know when I discovered the Quadra model, and I felt like you kind of took me away from that a little bit with the with trying to intellectualize and, and like the energy and stuff. Like I was seeing like infused significance in like very you know synchronistic acts, and and I was actually seeing like miracles happen. You know, and, and it, it wasn't just like me like fucking around. It was for real, you know, and but but, you know, getting getting in touch with some sort of mystical, even like movie like phenomena of me as a character in a in a movie in reality and and reality being like an, an alive God, you know, any thoughts? So these emotions suffocate your spirit and dim your light because your mind is not made to function in a state of constriction. Daily we are told in Torah to leave Egypt, Mitzrayim. We are to depart from the mindset of narrowness and constriction. Metsarim. any thoughts? Yeah.
1: constantly inviting us outside our comfort zone.
0: How can you tell if you are succeeding
1: our plans of
0: How can you tell if you're succeeding in this journey of Tikkun? Healing yourself and ultimately the universe. You will notice a gradual shift from resentment to wonder. When you look at the world through the narrow lens of fear and separation, you are always angry at something. You don't have enough of what you need. Somebody is wronging you or treating you unfairly. If only your boss or your spouse or your kids could change, then everything would be okay. So much seems to be in the hand of circumstance beyond your control. As you heal, you begin to look at the world in a wonder and gratitude. Every person. You meet all the details of the natural world and even, yes, even the difficulties of life are all enriching encounters with all pervasive divine presence. You come to know that you are the you are the universe in microcosm. Everything you see or hear teaches you something about yourself and it works the other way too. As you heal yourself, you are making the universe a better place. St. Yeah, Thos. You let go of your story and you move
1: on. The universe, its magic and mystical powers will
0: bless you realize that everything is in your hands the more positive you'll be the more you'll cheer up the surroundings and and engendering more healthy relationships at work and home instead of worrying about what you don't have and what might go wrong you are overwhelmed by encountering god's presence and all the people you meet all the events of your life and the words of the torah you read embracing it all at radical amazement as you shift from anger to wonder you will attract wholesome people and experience to your life and negative things will either depart or they will be reframed in a different light. You realize that they were only there because you had invited them in. Any thoughts?
1: And you move from anger to wonder. That's
0: good. That's so, very so, but succinct. now, now, it's interesting. You said you invited them in, and I, I, see that as blaming the victims sometimes. You know, like sometimes you don't invite them in. Sometimes, like you know, with slavery. Like, did they invite them in? It was more a case of environment. And you know, the agriculturalists and the you know and and really, you know, maybe God created that, maybe that was determined, but still it was a base more environment. Any thoughts?
1: Well yeah, sometimes the water in which your boat is uh, floated early is much more toxic than it is for others.
0: So says I have not well you gotta acknowledge that you have to acknowledge that fact. But that doesn't mean you're blaming the victim. Yeah, so you don't have to settle for the water. You don't have bl- to. You don't have to settle for the water. But any thoughts? Yeah, you're,
1: you're blaming the water
0: then, and that, that just gets in the way. Well, I mean, I mean, the water is the blame though. The water was the blame in a way, but it, at the same time, you now now you can understand that and you can move to different, like you know, the shootaway machine. Like the water was the blame. Yeah. You know, that 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 was an. That's what ignorant. I, but any that's thoughts? That's
1: what I said.
0: Any thoughts? I, that's what I said. The water.
1: Water is
0: to blame, but it doesn't help to blame it. So it says, I have not completed this journey, but I am on my way and I know which directions the arrow faces. The book will, I hope, be a great blessing to your life, igniting and fanning your inner flame for many years to come. If your perception of the Torah is only as a book of law, then you will read the numerous instructions in this book as commandments, an ethical and religious code of conduct. But the word mitzvah has another extremely important connotation it also means connection. A mitzvah is a connecting ritual, a sacred technology that brings you closer to God. If you observe, observe a mitzvah purely out of sense of fear or to feel good or to appear religious to yourself or to others or to please your parents or your spouse or your rabbi, then you have missed the most important point. A mitzvah is a powerful act of connection which slices through the myriad layers of white noise that separates you from the power of the universe. Before Any thoughts? Yeah, that's a profound
1: statement of its its value as a meditative
0: discipline says, but for it to be fully effective, you need to be conscious of what you are doing. Like any spiritual practice, the mitzvah requires a focused intention and awareness for it to be fully transformative force. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, there's a need to be focused. Like The, the thing that I, that I kind of pu- me pushes me away from your idea of a, just a ritual discipline, it's like, then you're just doing it. You can be going through the motions and stuff. But here... I, I see like a focus intention and awareness and even like an awareness of maybe even a separate God, like a separate higher force, you know, and, and, and like a, a complete absorption within it where even like an, an imaginal magical consciousness where, where you're, you're infused with the meaning of it and also with, with the potential of miraculous magical happenings. Any thoughts? Yeah. So it's not just like you're doing the ritual and that's taking you out of your habits and circumstances so it can free you from your thoughts so that you can be more open to the flow and insight. No, it's also that there is a magical element of reality, not just the flow and insight and letting go of your thoughts and that there is a, a power you can see within the quadrant matrix. There is a power manipulating this thing and you can be tapped into that if the power so chooses for you to be allowed to do that and the power can give you these rituals to connect with it any thoughts yeah
1: well that's what the flow is it's what
0: my understanding of yeah the flow but is. but 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 it's not though because there's also these magical mystical qualities where you can you know where you can it's not just it's not just it's not just, it's, it's not just energy manipulation but it's it's dream recognition dream reality recognition yeah, that's what the fuck.
1: What that's what the flow is, it's tapping that magical power. That's what all of these these stories that we, you know, the golden goose and all of that is, is all a, a discipline for, for preparing you to, to, to be caught up in that magical flow.
0: It says to heart to appreciate this book and to harness its power of personal healing, you need to go beyond just reading, thinking, and talking about it. You need to start doing it, regardless of your current level of observance. I recommend that you begin by focusing on a handful of mitzvot. And it doesn't matter in the slight, slightest whether there are mitzvot which you observe already, have observed in the past, and now lapse, or have never observed at all. These will become your spiritual work, your primary connect connection rituals. Like, you know, a rabbi was saying that, like, that when people aren't following the Torah, then in Mount Sinai, you know, God is actually, uh, you know, he's actually... Um, you can hear his voice like lamenting, you can hear God's voice and, and the, and the, the righteous can hear it. Now, again, like people can be following the Torah, but not really following the Torah. They can be within dualistic consciousness. And maybe that's what it's talking about. But you know, the rabbi was saying that really, you can hear the righteous can hear God's voice. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to the idea that there actually is in this magical, mystical, you know, matrix, an actual God's voice coming from Mount Sinai, that it actually is. If you can tap into those frequencies of the, of the dream reality, and and if you're open to the, that those elements, you can actually get into that. Like, okay, this, this this is kind of freaky. It's kind of like supernatural, but you can start tapping into some weird stuff. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's, Those are your feathers that you're you're growing.
0: So it says you know that when your mind is narrow fear and separation rule supreme your special mitzvot will connect you to god expanding the boundaries of your soul and warning your heart they will stimulate the part of you which is never judgmental always connected and gushing with love as you practice your special mitzvot regularly you will deepen and refine the experience over time a few words about the translation and commentary the torah of course was written in ancient hebrew which is really quite impossible to translate into english that's because the two tongues differ so radically hebrew is a pregnant language as opposed to English, which is a precise tongue. A single Hebrew word tends, uh, lends itself to multiple interpretations. It is pregnant with meaning. In fact, it may have many different possible translations, and since the Torah text in its original source contains no vowels or punctuation, it could literally have a host of renditions. Any thoughts? Yeah, it's very poetic. English, on the other hand, is extremely precise. These are a host of different words to say the same thing, each differing slightly in nuance and implication. So by its very nature, an English word carries a certain connotation and level of emphasis, which is just not present in biblical Hebrew. Any English translation of Torah is only able to bring to light one facet of the multiple meanings and implications that are present in Hebrew, Hebrew original. In other words, a translation really is a commentary. It must take a particular approach to decoding the source text. Any thoughts? Since the, since this fact is disconnecting or disconcerting, an honest translator wishes to render the text as it is from one language to another, most translations of the Torah try to hide their inevitable exegetical bias. They present commentary and interpretation as if it were a straight translation, although to minimize the problem, they usually follow the most straightforward and simple commentaries. I have taken them. Any thoughts? I've taken a more open approach. I figure that if my translation has to be very particular interpretation commentary, then in fact needs to be obvious. So I have placed anything that is interpretive in nature in parentheses to distinguish it from the rest of the text, which is more or less pure translation. Another courageous leap is that I have struck exclusive, stuck exclusively to one particular interpretation of the text. It is always easier for translators to pick and choose which interpretation to follow on verse by verse bias or basis. While the result may be clear, it is exegetically disjointed. One phrase may be rendered from an interpretive viewpoint, which is at odds with the next one. Hold on one second. Let me let me just see if. Um, I... So I have opted for consistency, following the interpretation of Rabbi Solomon Yitzkai, known by the acronym of his Hebrew name Rashi, the 11th century French commentator of the Bible and Talmud. Avoiding this approach might have been. My task as a translator and your yours as a reader a lot of easier, but Rashi is the most popular, most printed, and most loved of all Torah commentaries, and I believe even his more alarming interpretations are motivated by a rigorous internal consistency. So by following Rashi and highlighting his edu- edu- exegetical comments in parentheses, I hope to have rendered a translation which is thoroughly transparent to its biases and historically consistent with the way the Torah has probably been taught and read for the past 900 years or so. A small final point, which is kind of obvious, but I will state it in any case, is that any part of the text which seems to be intended as instruction, command, as opposed to narrative, has been presented as a bulleted list for the sake of clarity and an easier read. I've already told you my criteria for choosing and adapting the commentaries present at each page, so I won't repeat them here, but a word or two in order about the highlighted features which are swimming inside the commentary. Kabbalah bites, spiritual vitamins, and food for thought. Kabbalah is Jewish esotericism. It seeks to open and expose classical texts rather than to merely understand and explain them. Its teachings, the most important of which are found in the Zohar, Book of Radiance, and the writings of Rabbi Isaac Luria, offer a bold transformation of the scriptural understanding of God and universe. In the Bible, the relationship between us and God seems largely covenantal. We enter into agreement with God to observe certain ethical and ritual practices, and this pleases Him. When God is happy, He directs the events of our lives and of history in general, for the good. Any thoughts? Um, According to well, what do you think about that? The the idea of like the covenant relationship. Any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you you see that you will see that as dualistic a little bit, but at the same time, like we don't want to d- deny that that's possible. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's good. According to the Kabbalah, these same ethical and ritual deeds are perceived as having strikingly different role. God and the world are linked in a causal system. Through the correct actions and intentions, we somehow activate the Godhead, harmonize divine emanations, and cause them to flow into the world, bringing the desired positive results. What do you think about that? Any thoughts? No. I mean, I guess you would say that that could be goal-oriented. That seems, uh-huh. Well,
1: That seems in, in alignment with the biocentric point of view
0: yeah i mean you you i think before you would say that's magical thinking and and again i want you to keep on saying this so i can so that i can you know uh dialogue and encounter that what's the word i'm trying to think of like so i can uh confront like you know um come into contact with like uh what's the word so i can like communicate with that you know with that i with that you know pers- perspective and stuff and you know like square up to it and, or in, in like a it's not it's not like in a negative way like confront but to, to, to like communicate with it you know so, because i i understand uh, cause, because 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 you know the, the reason why is because i recognize that like some of the you know some of the religious jews who do look at it as god as like a covenant and stuff some of them are right wingers and stuff and it becomes self-confirmatory and I recognize that. But I don't know if that's because it's because they have that idea and it's self-confirmatory or it's because they haven't been exposed to the ideas that I know of looking at people as individuals and how race is a social construction and stuff like that. Any thoughts? No. And, and you know, expectancy effect and how they themselves are a part of expectancy effect. And, you know, there's so many dimensions and, and layers of reality and the more that you can be exposed to and understand the more that you can function even within a paradigm matrix of a separate God. And you can still perhaps not become a right-winger. You know, any thoughts? No,
1: that's
0: good. So it says, that does not mean to say that we have stripped God of his will or that man is now controlling God, because in the Kabbalistic system, man can only influence God's emanations, not his infinite, unknowable essence. Any thoughts? By drawing this important distinction, we preserve God's utter aloofness and oneness, while at the same time rendering him extremely accessible and even subject to human influence. Most of the Kabbalah is devoted to a discussion of these complex and dynamic divine emanations, the core of which are called the Ten Sephiroth. Any thoughts? The origins of Kabbalah are extremely obscure because any public teaching of this wisdom violated the basic rule of esotericism, secrecy. Besides the obvious fear of error, The doctrine of the Sephiroth treads extremely close to a heretical pluralism. Kabbalists felt that popularizing such intimate secrets about the Godhead was simply inappropriate. This was for the eyes of a few enlightened souls only. So while the Zohar, for example, only began to emerge in the 13th century, the Kabbalah was in the hands of an elite few for many centuries prior to that. Some see it as being as old as Judaism itself, or even older, attributing Kabbalistic knowledge to Adam, the first man. But what is undisputed is that since the 16th century and on, Kabbalistic ideas have been irreversibly enmeshed in the beliefs and observances of Judaism. And in today's postmodern climate, interest in the Kabbalah has flourished more than ever. Kabbalah comes from the root KBL, which means receive, to stress that it was not the figment of human imagination, but was actually received from a higher source. Any thoughts?
1: inspiration rather
0: than intuition so th- this is especially important to stress in the case of esoteric wisdom because unlike the exoteric law which well, but is is that an idea of dualism though that it comes from a higher source like as opposed to intuition coming from inside but it's is that dualism or any thoughts well it can be it can be viewed either way but I mean it's still a oneness even 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 if it is a separate thing there's still a oneness and there still might be like a a relational uh, complexity within the quadrant uh, system. Any thoughts? Yeah. This is especially important to stress in the case of esoteric wisdom because unlike the exoteric law, which follows strictly defined rules of exegesis, there is no critique which can be applied to test the validity of proposed esoteric teachings. Either you accept it because it comes from a reliable source or you reject it. It cannot be evaluated by any revealed traditional system. What does the Kabbalah discuss? In addition to dealing with the conventional theological topics such as creation, God's emanation, man's soul, the meanings of the commandments, the problem of evil, and afterlife. Kabbalistic wisdom also includes fascinating discussions of more obscure topics such as demonology, reincarnation, Gilgal, and astrology. Any thoughts? The Kabbalah bites presented here do little justice to the fascinating and immense body of Jewish esoteric wisdom, but for the vast majority of people who are intrigued in the Kabbalah but have never tasted from it, these insights will provide an excellent primer. No background knowledge should be required to understand them other than that what I have written here. Sources from each bite are found in the back of this volume. The spiritual vitamins interspersed through this book are based on traditional rabbinic Judaism. They are novel in the sense that they are not actually a commentary on the Torah at all. I place them here out of the conviction that you might often read the Torah on a weekly or even daily basis looking for suggestions or ideas of how to bring the teachings of Judaism directly and practically into your life. I wanted to make sure that you always find inspirational teachings of healing, awareness, and well-being without having to look too hard, waiting through scripture commentary and super commentary. I hope you find these vitamins gentle and affirming and that they help to make your day more fulfilling, less stressful, and a little happier. Each week, Torah reading provides plenty of material for stimulating discussion in in the classroom or around the family table about a broad range of ethical, personal, and behavioral issues. The Torah and its commentaries are not only meant to impart you with wisdom as a passive receiver, they should also stimulate your mind and get you thinking. So I have included here some points for discussion and contemplation under the heading Food for Thought. No answers are given, of course, because they would defy the point. Some parts of the learning experience cannot be spoon-fed. My favorite part uh, of writing a book in, is acknowledgments. Unlike a regular thank you, which easily gets lost in the window, written, published, acknowledged, Acknowledgement is eternal, and the thought is awesome. First and foremost, I would like to thank. Dan, uh, okay, let's skip the acknowledgements. All right, so you ready? So the book of so Jet. What's the name of
1: this book? What's the name of
0: this book? It's called the Five Books of Moses. It's very expensive, so I don't recommend getting it. It's like two hundred dollars. But the Five Books of Moses, and and also I got it for free from from the rabbi at Habad. All you have to do is go to a Habad, and they'll they and you can read it. All all the Habads have this book. The Habotz have a lot of books. Like this is a good one, but they have like a ton of books. You just have, you just all you have to do is go. Like remember the Habad in Malibu, you just get to go in there and you just sit in the library and you can get it. But the rabbi just gave it to me. But he 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 said I had to I could borrow it. Like he didn't give it to me, but I could borrow it. But any thoughts? Yeah,
1: that's
0: good. Yeah. All right, ready? Yep. So it says character profile, name Eve, mother of all life. Husband Adam, children, okay. Uh, achievements formed by God out of Adam's 13th rib, was created fully developed as a 20 year old. What do you think about that? She was from the 13th rib and, and fully developed as a 20 year old. Any thoughts? This is Eve. I don't know where that came
1: from. I don't know the context in which that st- statement.
0: Yeah, this is, this is like, you Can know, just you start again? you're just Jewish ideas. So these are Eve's achievements. So she was formed by God out of the Adam's 13th rib was created fully developed as a 20 year old known for she's known for was extremely beautiful, influenced by the serpent to first touch the tree of knowledge and then to eat from its fruit together with her husband, cursed that women would have pain in childbirth. So creation, God created the world with the intention that we should sanctify the mundane, making a home for him down below. Any thoughts on that? Oh, so, God, God constantly recreates the world, keeping us in existence for this purpose. What do you think about that? Yeah. It
1: creates an etern- eternally regenerative world.
0: So it says time. God finishes finished. Yeah, I mean that, that's a big big idea in, in the Chabad. Like he's gone constantly like recreating it every moment. And even like the yeah so, so like you know the, the rabbi would talk about like if God wanted to like it, the people would talk about like yeah God, God has to destroy the world through fire or water but he was saying no really if God wanted to he could just you know just exit and the whole everything would vanish you don't need to burn anything just everything could just vanish the whole existence like any thoughts yeah,
1: well see that's my understanding in the beginning God created the world so that doesn't mean at a particular moment in history, it's, it's in the beginning of every moment. God creates the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, there? No. Now, but I would say that perhaps that's not allowed that God could just release in, in everything. Like, you need, you, there, there might be constraints on God that the quadrant has to be, you know, articulated and, and uh, elaborated. Like, any thoughts? So it said, God, uh, time, God finished working exactly as the Sabbath began. Every single moment is important and you should endeavor to not misuse or waste even a second. Any thoughts? And that's what I talk about. That's why I want to study as much as I can with you, you know, because like every second. So it says, where where are you? God, God knew where Adam was, but he still asked him, where are you? Every day God says to you, where are you? How are you using your capabilities and talents to make the world a better place? Any thoughts? So it says, but, but this enormous love would have, okay. So, so it says creation the first day I'm, I'm, I could read you the whole thing, but I'm thinking I'm just going to read you the, the, the bites or, or, or just, just the, the footnotes because we've already read the Bible. So these are just the footnotes to the Bible. So I could, because it has the Bible and it has the footnotes. So I could read, in the beginning, God's creation of the heavens. But we already know that. So I'm just going to read the footnotes. Tell me what you think. All right, ready? So one, in the beginning, Bereshit. sheet. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, so one, in the beginning, Bereshit sheet of God's creation. What is the significance of the Torah beginning with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, bet? Why did it not start with the first letter, Aleph? Any thoughts? No. Bet is the first letter of the word, baraka, blessing where whereas Aleph is the first letter of the word aurora curse god said i will not create the world with an Aleph, so that people should not say how can you expect the world to endure if it is created with a letter of curses instead i will create the world with the letter bet which suggests blessing and i wish that it will endure any thoughts no, that's interesting. maybe that's just the idea of you know optimism like like tell me your thoughts but maybe it's just idea of like you know approach things with optimism as opposed to pessimism or something you know because that higher level of aliveness or something i mean people people can look at the people people can easily look at the world through a negative lens like like the woman who saw shiva in a negative light and you can Whatever. Happened? What happened? You disappeared. Yeah, but yeah, you you could easily look at the world through like a negative lens and see it see it as negative, or you can also look at the world in the in a positive way, and it will affect things. Like any thoughts? Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, yeah. That's very true. I, I don't know the the connection between the olive and
0: the Beth, though. Well, the olive starts with a it's a the word curse starts with the olive, so they're saying that you know the it's it's an interesting like creative reasoning but they're saying yeah the, the word curse starts with an olive and the word blessing starts with a B so the reason why they started the world the the, the Bible with the letter B instead of the olive is because it, it, the idea is its ideas is a blessing not a curse any thoughts so the, the Torah okay so it says a foundation of Torah is the belief that God creates created the universe ex nihilo the phrase in the beginning should not be understood in terms of time for time itself is a creation. Time is dependent upon the movement of the heavenly bodies, and they, too, were created. Any thoughts? No. Just as God renews the creation every day, you, too, make some innovation in the world every single day. So, like, and each of these footnotes are from, like, different rabbis. So, like, the first one was, I'm not going to mention them all because that'll take time, but the first one was Maimonides. This one was Rabbi Aaron. Or maybe I will mention them, but any thoughts? No. So, so, Rabbi Aaron and Rabbi... Uh, Jacob Carlin 18th century when God foresaw the future deeds of the righteous it aroused in him a very great longing to bestow good upon them And this is what prompted him to create the world. What do you think about that? Um, It says but this enormous love would have completely overwhelmed the creation bringing about its annihilation so it had to be restrained God therefore looked at the future deeds of the wicked, and his powers of severity were aroused. This was made. This is what made it possible to create the world. Rabbi Gedalia, any thoughts? Yeah, I don't understand that one. I think that's really interesting. I think that's a good idea because it's, it's like the idea that what's good and what's bad. I mean, he looked at the righteous and he's like, whoa, this really making me want to make the world. But if he just looked at the righteous, the world would have been destroyed. But he had to also look at the wicked because because otherwise it would have been infused, it would have been too powerful. And that kind of made made a temper it temperate it his creation, like moderated it a little bit so that it could be habitable. And that's the idea of like who is good and who is bad. Sometimes the righteous are are it's ego and sometimes the wicked it's ego, but the flow is something beyond both. Any thoughts? So astoundingly desolate. God de- desires a home in the lowest realms, midrash tanhuma. The world began with utter desolation, the lowest of all existences, existence into which light in the Torah were then added. Rabbi Alexander, any thoughts? No. I won't mention the names of all the rabbis, but just just bear in mind that after each one of these, there's a, there's a like a footnote for who's who's giving these interpretations. So God, so. So God's breath, you know, this is Genesis right now. So God's breath, this breath refers to the spirit of the Messiah. Any thoughts? The concept of the Messiah is even more primal than that of light. For the spirit of Messiah preceded the creation of light. Any thoughts? So that's interesting. Like a lot of people put light as the highest thing, but here the spirit of the Messiah is the highest thing. Maybe maybe that's like the maybe that's go go beyond light, go beyond appearances to you could say the flow or even to the quadrant to that real oneness to the to the to the numbers. Any thoughts? Yeah, could be. So it says Kabbalah teaches that the purpose of creation is to elevate to, or so it says hovered. So you know the footnote for hovered. Kabbalah teaches that the purpose of creation is to elevate two hundred and eighty godly sparks, which are trapped. In the physical world. The number is hinted to by the word hovered. Merahet. Merahet. Whose root letters resh, peh, het have numerical equivalent of 288. Any thoughts?
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah, what do you think about the idea of the godly sparks and everything? Well,
1: I don't have any thoughts about
0: that. So it says God said... God separated the light from the darkness. God saw that the primordial light was good and it was not proper for the wicked to use it. So he put it away for the righteous in the future. The light which he created on the first day <clears throat> had two properties. A, its superficial quality of physical illumination and B, an inner deeper goodness that was detached. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, what's good about that? Has a,
1: has a, well, it has a poetic or mystical or magical... Dimension
0: to it. It's not just light, you know. It's not just a physical thing. Right. It doesn't. Right. It has. It has, You would say that it has like the property of emergence in it. It has that creative principle and property within it. It's not just a. It's not just a stale, uh, um, passive like, what's the word, uh, you know, thing. Any thoughts? The form of light was altered. In its original form, it had such a potent spirituality that it negated man's free choice, uh, giving him no opportunity to sin by revealing truth. The inner purpose of every object was plainly evident. Any thoughts? No. Um, wait,
1: let's see.
0: It's not just like inert light, you know what I mean? Right. So it says uh in its altered state, the spirituality of light was separated for all future generations with the provision that people obtain it through their own efforts and genuine worship. Men who use their free choice unwisely do not receive it at all. It does? No. So what what's the significance of a light and everything, it does?
1: Transcendent
0: reality that's very hard to to to, to comprehend. Well, well well you any thoughts? See, it's more than it's more
1: than in, like he called it an inert entity. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's an event. But it's an event of what? Yes, yeah, it's, it's not like inanimate, but 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 you see that that's why I think it's important that they said the spirit of Messiah preceded the light. Because that gives that quality of you know the quadrant, the creativity. This that there that there's a that there's even a, a personality behind existence, behind the inert, what in it, behind the materialism, or you know any thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, like, and it even like it makes me think of the idea of like the, the hologram that there's a that there's a predestination that there's a, a world of forms that there's, you know, something that it's leading toward the Messiah is already determined from the beginning. And that's, I mean, it's all leading toward this to right now. When I revealed the quadrant model, any thoughts, but I mean like it's, it there, there's, there's that magical like essence to it that, that some people might be not aware of now it can become self confirmatory of course, but at the same time, that's the point of the Messiah is the, Produce something even beyond something synergistically magnificent beyond this. Any thoughts? In its altered state, the spirituality of light was separated for all future generations with the provision that... Okay. So it says, Kabbalah bites. Before God created the world, he created other spiritual worlds. But he was not happy with them, so he destroyed them. The problem with all those worlds is that they lacked empathy. They were worlds of Tohu, chaos, because their constituent forces could not tolerate each other. Any thoughts? Yeah, I don't know where that comes from, but it may be true. Well, one, one thing it comes from is, is they say that in the when it says in the beginning God created, it says it's really with wisdom God created. And they say that it wasn't the beginning and there were worlds before that world, but they were destroyed. Any thoughts? Yeah doesn't seem consistent with
1: the other idea that in the beginning of every moment
0: yeah but I mean I think it's interesting because it, it lends itself to the idea of multiverses you know and also like even other mythologies talk like you know the 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 Indian mythologies will talk about like or, or the Hindu myth or the the Native American mythologies will talk about like worlds before this world and stuff and it's kind of interesting idea any thoughts yeah well
1: again that Implication of a movement in time, mm-hmm. but if, if reality is re- eternally regenerative, then there is no such thing as time.
0: It doesn't, it's only eternity. Mm-hmm. You no? It doesn't, no, says our world which God favored called Tikkun corrected because every element of this world has a capability to appreciate everything else. Any thoughts? So it says uh, six. Let the firmament materialize between the waters. These words of God's original utterance, "Let the firmament materialize between the waters," etc., are constantly found with within the heavens to grant them life. For if the let me see. For if the letters were to depart even for an instant, God forbid, and return to their source, all the heavens would revert to absolute nothingness, and it would be as though they had never existed at all. Any thoughts? Um, 10. God called the dry land earth. After a while, the habitual pleasures of life begin to lose their appeal. One thing, however, which is always a great source of pleasure to man is the ability to give to others so that they can enjoy life. The same is true with God, so to speak. His greatest pleasure is not to receive, but to provide. God called the dry land Aretz. Dry land gave him the greatest pleasure because it satisfied his desire to give, making human life possible. Therefore, he named it Aretz, which also means desire. Any thoughts? That's interesting. Why is
1: that
0: interesting? Any thoughts?
1: context in in which good things could occur
0: yeah one thing i was thinking about with like dry land being desire is that that makes me think of like you know materialism like the the land matter which is a third quadrant and related to desire the ego and you know but but that's not a bad thing it's a it's a part of existence you know but but the the relationship between the two the ego desire and uh you know material the third quadrant it, but but God, you know, like like that, and, and his idea that the ego is not bad; it's magnificent in its accomplishments. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's good. But it's goal oriented. But any thoughts of that? No. So it says, "Let the earth, and it's, You know, the people who worship the earth would often often worship the mother goddess, which which was a goddess which was based around materialism and wanting things and money, like Lakshmi or Parvati. But the thing was, though, that's not a bad thing, but it's also something that you can transcend. But at the same time, it's not something that you should deny and dismiss and negate. But if you worship Vishnu first, then you get the favor of the materialism, which would be worshiping the transpersonal. Any thoughts? Yeah,
1: that's good.
0: So it says, let the earth be covered with trees with edible bark that tastes like its fruit. God instructed that the tree should taste like the fruit, but the earth did not comply. Therefore, when man was cursed because of sin, the earth too punished was th- the earth too was punished for its sin any thoughts? Uh, obviously the earth which has no free choice did not sin in the literal sense rather um, what Rashi points is pointing to here is an intrinsic metaphysical flaw in all earthly physical things the physical world is situated at the end of countless worlds of emanation so it is by definition a recipient because of this, a recipient mentality plagues the earth and everything that was created from it. An overstated desire to receive and a reluctance to give. This is ultimately the cause of all our sins. Any thoughts? No. Here at the beginning of creation, this flaw first began to manifest itself with the creation of the fruit tree, mirroring the physical And Any thoughts? No. So it says spiritual vitamin. When you get hold of a printed book of 100 pages containing a connected story or philosophy, you cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, assume that a bottle of ink has been spilled and accidentally produced the book. Still less, and infinitely so, is it possible that our universe, with its infinite number of atoms, molecules, and particles all arranged in perfect order and harmony, could have come into existence by accident? Obviously, there is a creator and architect who arranges and relates all the various parts of the universe in a perfect unity and harmony any thus no, that, that's
1: precisely my understanding
0: mm-hmm. yeah and again we don't have to see it as anthropomorphic or whatever but like like Spinoza there is a it's, it's an infused force or even Leibniz, it's like a monistic atom that's permeating everything but regardless this is this is something so extraordinary beyond your me- mentality to comprehend and that's why it's it's I kind of shy away from saying, oh, it's a person or no, it's not a person. Cause even that is something that's, that's a, a product of the mind to say it's a person or it's not a person, you know, it, it, it is producing this, you know, architecturally, you know, precise configuration, whatever it is, any thoughts?
1: what some people call the music of the spheres See, music is composed of harmonic vibrations rhythmic puls- pulsations and dynamic stillness yeah does not
0: that? no so it's a spiritual... that's
1: what the universe is composed of
0: mm-hmm. so it's a spiritual world that's what,
1: that's what quarks and Atoms and all of those are composed
0: of about like, same three. Same what? Do what? The
1: same three.
0: What? What same three?
1: Harmonic vibrations, rhythmic pulsations, and dynamic stillness.
0: You said harmonic vibrations. Yeah. They talk about like in string theory, right? But, but, but you see even like string theory, I see that even if reality presents string theory and says, okay, so it's like musical. Even that's a metaphor though because is is there really strings or is that just a part of the dream matrix trying to point you to a deeper meaning of existence? Any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't,
1: I wasn't re- referring that strictly to string theory. Yeah. But the whole idea that... Uh, Electr- mag- electromagnetic waves are
0: harmonic vibrations. So it says, any thoughts it? No. So it says, but yeah, like even that though. Are there electromagnetic waves or is that just, you know, our senses show us that, but for what motivation? In the dream matrix, your senses are showing you things, but are they really things, you know, are your senses even to be trusted? But we do know that in a dream... Regardless if it's real or not, it's pointing to deeper truths. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's good. Maybe. But it says spiritual worlds. The fruit and its tree are the recipient-provider relationship. The tree provides nourishment from the ground, which the fruit absorbs and stores. When God told the earth to impart flavor to the tree, it could not do so, because as a recipient, the earth was metaphysically inferior to the tree, a provider. Any thoughts? Man who was created from the earth also inherited the recipient mentality. He was therefore attracted to the fruit which possessed the same flaws himself. His sin was that he detached the fruit from the tree. He made receiving primary and giving secondary. Any thoughts? Yeah.
1: Rather than freely you receive, freely you give,
0: you detach the two. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I feel like I'm, I've been giving a lot, like, you know, by reading these things and putting them online, you know, like I've been putting this stuff online so that I can give it to people so that they can, all the work that I did can be imparted to others, you know, that, that, that so that they can get n- nourishment from it and that they can, they, because it's otherwise it's overwhelming. But if people have somebody who's put in all that year's worth of effort and now I can put it in a, in, you know, I put, I've been putting it in a framework that's accessible. Any thoughts? Yeah. So it says, uh, God consulted the heavenly court and said, let us make man in our mold. The Torah's term for man, Adam, comes from the term domain, comparison. Any thoughts? Once God has had finished the work of creation, he desired that his handiwork could appreciate his work and marvel at the complexity of the universe. Until that point, only fish, birds, and mammals had been created, creatures that understand things according to their own limited context. So God created Adam, the creature of comparison. Combining elements of the spiritual and physical realms, a clay body and godly soul resulted in a creature with exclusively... Yeah, sometimes i don't know where it goes next with oh i guess maybe exclusively human ability to contrast and compare observe and ponder all of creation any thoughts no so Ad-
1: the capacity for for widening your spectrum of
0: consciousness mm-hmm. adam would envision spiritual concepts with his mind and at the same time experience physical phenomena with his body. The ability to see this bigger picture is God's exclusive gift to mankind. Any thoughts? Yeah. The ability to expand your spectrum. Man's name, Adam, reflects his gift of free choice. Adam can either mean comparable, domain, or it can refer to the earth, adama. If man chooses God, then he is comparable to the divine. If he chooses evil, he is like animals who were formed from the earth. The choice is his. Any thoughts? No. The statement, let us, is phrased in the plural. The sages teach that when God was about to create man, he consulted with his ministering angels. However, with the creation of woman, God consulted no one. Any thoughts? Huh. Well, yeah. I don't know what he's saying by that. So, I mean, that, that can be, I can see that as being interpreted, someone can interpret that like, I, we, there might be some sort of deep meaning in that, but someone can interpret that in, in inferior superior consciousness. Oh yeah. Well, man's more complex. So God had to consult angels, but with women, he was just like, Oh, whatever. Let's just do it. Or it could be maybe the opposite. Maybe, maybe God was like uncertain with man, but made women higher. But regardless, maybe what this is trying to say is that man and women aren't the same, but neither are they. They're not equal, but neither are they superior or inferior. So it's, it's, in it's, it's emphasizing the notion that they're not equal so that people don't try to get caught in the trap of thinking that people are equal, but there still is a flow where you transcend equal, superior, inferior. Any thoughts? Hello? Hey, Grandpa, I can't hear you. Yeah,
1: they're, they're different, but not superior.
0: So maybe that's what it's emphasizing, but a lot of people probably misinterpret it as superior, inferior, because, you know, sometimes you'll even hear like a rabbi say like, no, the Torah says that women are superior and that's why they're in the upper. But still, that's still dualistic consciousness. Say that they're superior. Like any thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So it says this state, it says, so it says, therefore, women recite the blessing each morning. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe who has made me according to his will, because God created woman as he willed, without consulting others. Any thoughts? No. When God came to create man, the angels split into groups. The angels of kindness and angels of righteousness were in favor of man, who they argued would perform kind and charitable acts. But the angels of truth and angels of peace opposed man's creation, arguing that humanity would be torn apart with lies and quarrels. Any thoughts? So it says, what did God do? He took truth and threw it to the ground. Any thoughts? The angels' arguments are puzzling. Why did the angels of kindness assume that mankind would be entirely charitable? And why did the other angels assume that the world would be uh, entirely populated with dishonest and quarrelsome people? Surely it was obvious that there would be an admixture ad of temperaments. Any thoughts? The opposing angels' argument was that in many instances, life will place man. Are you there, yep. Will place man in a situation of irresolvable dilemma. If he follows the path of truth, he will offend his fellow. If he follows the path of peace, he will be guilty of dishonesty. Neither group of angels saw mankind as entirely untruthful or entirely disharmonious. But collectively, they saw a world where truth and peace would be inviolable. In, in what did God do? He took truth and threw it to the ground. He gave us the Torah here on earth, the ground, a teaching which guides us in every area of life and how to balance the sensitivities of truth and peace. Any thoughts?
1: Well,
0: so, yeah, so he gave I guess. It as a, huh? He gave it as an order to depend on? Yeah, so I guess what it's saying is that. Yeah, with without an order, man's going to fall into into sin and stuff. But it's not this. So so I mean, it that's one with that stuff. He's going to fall into you know getting in, caught up in self-confirmatory stuff. But the Torah is there to help to guide. Like any thoughts? Yeah, that's good. So it says, "Be fruitful and multiply." Technically, according to Jewish law, the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply rests on the man and not the woman. This, however, points to the spiritual superiority of women. Knowing that men are inclined to deviate from their primary mission in this world to rear the next generation in a functional family unit, God commanded them to do so by the force of law. Any thoughts? Women who are more instinctively attuned to this God-given mission do not need need the law to tell them what they know already to be true. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, but well, that's what he's saying. They're spiritually superior.
0: Yeah, what do you think about that? Is that is that dualistic or?
1: No, it just we all have our assets and liabilities. Our strengths and weaknesses.
0: So yeah, so so but that doesn't mean that they're superior though, that you can still be in the flow, you just go all out regardless. So man has to go all out and women still have to go all out, right? But you see, but what they, what the Orthodox Jews do though, is they say, well, women are spiritually superior, so therefore men should be spending more time studying Torah and women spend more time in the household taking care of the children. Cause they don't need, they say they don't need the study cause they are already kind of inclined toward it more often. So they spend more time in the household, you know, allowing for the man to spend more time to study Torah, you know, by, by taking care of the home and, and the children and stuff. And, and that, and what do you think of that? Interpret it. So, but again, like not all men are that way, not all women and stuff. And but at the same time, though, but you know, like maybe it's idea like more women are NFs and more men are N and NTs, you know, and or more women are NS and more men are S SPs, you know, and and the idea of like or, or or more more women are SJ's and more men are NTs, and the, and, and the idea behind like the NFs and SJ's is they're more conservative, so. I don't know, but it's it's like, at the same, I don't know, it's like, so maybe they don't need the temperance of the Torah or whatever as much, I don't know, any thoughts? Yeah, they,
1: they, they may not need that so much, the external order to depend on, because they have more of an internal order.
0: Yeah, so it's like, but at the same time, though, we don't want to make generalizations, but any thoughts on that? So it says, uh, the, thus the stronger legal emphasis on the man is paradoxically suggestive of an inferior spiritual status. So it says, 20, 29, plants, fruit shall be food for you. God did not allow Adam and his wife to kill a creature and to eat its its flesh. They were only permitted to eat of the vegetarian, as were the animals. Later, he permitted the sons of Noah to eat flesh. Any thoughts? So spiritual vitamin, the world is a well-coordinated system created by God in which there is nothing superfluous and nothing lacking. Any thoughts? No. See, a lot of people would say, well, that's ridiculous. There is superfluous stuff and there is stuff lacking. Like what about the diseases? What about the, you know, the parasites? And what about the, you know, any thoughts? No. So, but I guess, you know, but then pe- people could counter that. Well, maybe those things helped the evolution. And you know, if people are sinning, then then they get diseases and stuff, you know. And then people would argue that maybe those things are not something lacking, but there's something that are part of God's plan. Like any thoughts? Yeah,
1: well, that's certainly consistent with this idea about viruses. They're here to our benefit, but because we screw things up so much, they end up being harmful.
0: Yeah, but it, like in this idea of like maybe the virus was a good thing because it caused a reset, you know. in ways so I mean like any thoughts so it says uh, the sixth day you will notice that the other days of creation are described simply as a third day or a fourth day unlike the sixth day the article the hints to the unique sixth day made eternally famous in another context namely the sixth day of the month of Sivan the day that the Torah was given at Sinai any thoughts? By linking the conclusion of creation with the event at Sinai, the Torah informs you that one was conditional upon the other. God stipulated with the works of creation. If Israel accepts the Torah, you will continue to exist. If not, I will return you to prim- primordial nothingness. Any thoughts? Well, I remember you, you, you would look at that as like, you know, the, the anti-entropic, that there is that anti-entropic element in the and the fact and the idea that the Torah needs to be a part of it. That's a part of the anti-entropic order and stuff. That creates the synergistic properties. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could say that, but but I would say that 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 could be a little bit rational too. But there, even in a more mystical sense, I would say that 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 can be an element, perhaps. But also, it's the idea that the Torah is a part of the quadrants, you know, elucidation and the play and the creative process and impregnation of God within reality of of like a systemic beauty. harmony that the torah and the jewish people and you know this play that we're in is this this structure this movie and god in every element is essential and necessary to create its overall function and the coordinating relational aspects any thoughts No. so it says on the seventh day god completed how was creation completed on the seventh day When God merely rested, God continued working all the way up to the Sabbath and entered the Sabbath by a hair's breadth. Any thoughts? Another answer. The world was lacking one thing, rest. When the Sabbath came, uh, rest came. The work of creation then completed and finished. Any thoughts? Rashi explains that God worked until the last possible moment when what was gained by this feat of precision god was teaching a lesson to mankind about the preciousness of time so long as you have the opportunity to carry out your divinely ordained mission in this world you should utilize every moment in order to realize your fullest potential pushing every allocation of time to its utmost limits Any does also you might bemoan the fact that you are living in a spiritually desensitized generation gone are the days of the prophets and talmudic sages When the people served God with the utmost fervor. What could this lowly generation possibly achieve beyond the accomplishments of our illustrious ancestors? The ancestor to this question can be derived from God's conduct when creating the world. Just as we see that every moment was precious to God to the extent that he continued working to the very last opportunity. Likewise, the final work of the very last generation is of paramount importance. Any thoughts? On the seventh day, he rested. What is the Sabbath? It is the name of God. Zohar. Any thoughts? Saying the Sabbath is the name of God. God's very name is Sabbath or rest because movement cannot be attributed to him. Movement is only possible for an entity that exists within time and space, but God does not move from place to place, nor is he limited by time. Any thoughts?
1: God,
0: God bless the seventh day. The peace and pleasure that yeah feel free grandpa like if you have any ideas any anything st- stimulated in your mind just just mention it but any thoughts uh, yeah my thought now is it's
1: that's enough for
0: today all right, let me just finish this one page quick Are all right ready so it says, god god bless the seventh day the peace and pleasure that your soul finds on the sabbath is so great that it is as if you have been given an additional soul when this condition ceases at the end of the Sabbath and you re-enter the period of hard work and stress, it is as if the additional soul has departed from you and you become weakened. Any thoughts? So I guess you, you would say that that would be like the flow, like an additional soul, like it's effortless. So it's a spiritual vitamin. One, one of the foundations of our faith and the way of life is the firm conviction that God's providence extends to everyone individually and that he is the essence of goodness and does only good as a tourist states, God saw everything that he had made and look, it was very good. Any thoughts? No. Alright. Okay. Later. I think you're gonna...